What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 189. That is right, 189 episodes of us giving you the best brown noise or whatever noise you want to call this <laughs> on the wonderful spectrum of noise that Facebook and Instagram will say, like, oh, this one will help reduce stress. We encourage stress. <laughs> we are stress, mister. We are. I am George Terran, alongside the man who is Kenneth for us all, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy. It's good to be back this week. We have mm -hmm. a uh, we have an interesting show, I think, this week. It's going to be a, a little less packed now that we're back mm -hmm. on back on mm -hmm. schedule. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, we're going to have some political talk because I know you love politics. Um, Absolutely. Everyone signs and in for the politics. It's all about the politics. You know what? We'd probably make a lot more money if we chose a side, frankly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to go in, go all in. There's, there's money to be made uh, being an arsehole, right? So I've noticed some of, a couple of my favourite um, people who are, make f satirical film reviews on YouTube have started the edge to the right, you know, and um, I understand that's my left hand, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> correction is not required. Um, but they're like, going, hmm, they must make a lot of money being this horrible. So, you know, um, it's not to be under. We should pick a team, you know, uh, and just start saying, yeah, yeah, some Democrats or something. I don't know. <laughs> it would be hard to do from here. Those damn people in the middle, they're the ones ruining <laughs> this country. Uh, damn centrists. <laughs> But that's coming up with Bob Roberts, and we got a, our yeah. UF film of the week will be Asteroid City, and mm -hmm. then we're going back ten years to uh, your next. Yes, absolutely, and of course we will have binge brows burn, ladies and gentlemen, and I've got a couple for that one lined up. Very good. Shall we crack yeah. on and talk let's get, about? Let's get um, on and talk about the, Bob. the legendary Bob Roberts. So this is the nineteen ninety two. Mockumentary, satirical comedy, uh, yep. starring, written Directorial and directed and starring yeah. uh, by Tim Robbins, a yep. conservative folk singer turns his hand to politics, running for the U.S. Senate. He is mm -hmm. not above dirty tricks and a smear campaign to gain an advantage over his opponent. Uh, quite the cast here. This is one of the reasons I've chosen it. Was like, do you like to make it easy for George to get out of this? We don't want a uh, another deaf machine dead end. Um <laughs> long-term listeners will understand that one but obviously as we said it stars tim robbins as this titular bob roberts uh giancarlo esposito makes another appearance on the show this week as yep. bugs rapplin uh alan rickman yep. uh i think recycling the accent he did in in die hard when he pretends to be a hostage oh don't hurt me <laughs> yeah i think it's the same american accent oh, he did in that film and he can sing <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ray Wise, uh, of course, he of uh, Twin Peaks fame, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh Gore Vidal makes an appearance, the famous writer, yeah, um, David Strathairn, James uh, Spader, Jack Black's first uh, credited role, Helen Hunt pops up in a cameo, yeah. Pamela Reed, whose face you will recognize as one of those mm -hmm. people you see in stuff, uh, Fisher Stevens, Academy Award winner, Fisher Stevens um of course uh mm -hmm. pops up in a in an acting role here 
uh, Ned Bellamy. It's it's really I think it's just called all his mates that come in and I and help out so. the production of this one. Yeah, um, I think so. The INTB tree says they all wanted to play newsreaders, and you can see that because a number of them too. Yeah. Uh, so this is an interesting film. So this is from 1992. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I, I decided to watch it was uh, having watched the trailer, I think I vaguely remember it coming out. I was fairly young at the time. Mm. Um, but I remember it, it getting it, it reached, watching the trailer. It was like it did kind of remind me a little bit uh, of the world we live in today, politically speaking, or our yes. American friends live in at least. And, of course, we live mm. in by proxy as a result of, you know, uh, in Australia we've, yeah. we've um, you know, tagged our wagon to the Americans. So whatever happens there, you know, it, it does kind of matter here. Um, uh, the idea of a an outsider, cele- rich outsider celebrity sort mm-hmm. of coming in uh, with some pretty radical right-wing ideas and mm-hmm. kind of sweeping all before him um mm-hmm. in an unexpected way and whose hmm, how to describe it whose whose manner and their outsider status makes them almost immune to criticism uh of the yeah, kind that kind would of. not apply to other politicians in you know running for 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 office so of course everybody knows i'm i'm referring to you know bernie sanders um uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, the the parallels with Trump and Trumpism uh, are, st- yeah. are stark in this film, and it's you know that this film was made you know thirty years, uh, yeah, um, twenty five years before the Trump movement really began to become a thing, um, yeah. and, and that is an interesting to see that someone was saw the way the wind was blowing so far ahead of um, mm-hmm. so far ahead of the thing actually happening. That said. It's not supposed to be a comedy, and a lot of the, the uh, quotes and the reviews say it's like it's really, really funny. You know, breathtakingly funny. I don't. I laughed once. Maybe it's because it's just a bit too real. I don't I, know. Yeah, I had exactly the same thought, and I kind of feel like it's a li- <laughs> a little too close to home now for it to actually be funny because we have genuinely kind of lived through a variation of this. And it's it's insane. It's it's impressive. The um, uh, these like um, Lucas Hart the third, and their continuing kind of indictments and things like that, and everyone talking about that. It's sort of like, okay, how many times can the Trump administration be indicted and all of that stuff and everything? Just sort of like just in the f- famous line from Leon, it's sort of like bullets glide off you. They dance. You dance with them. It's that's that's what they do, and that's what's been done and it's like okay is this uh, is this maybe where kind of donald trump went hey you know what i could do that (laughs) it's a little unnerving (laughs) it's it it is uh and i think maybe maybe the last where you know you sort of see uh the jack black character and his friends Mm. uh a group of young people who, who look up to and idolize um Bob Roberts. Yeah. And they start to form almost a cult. It's a cult like attachment. Um, yeah. Which is to an outsider, like, I guess to me and to us. Yeah. Uh, that's what the Trump movement in the States looks like to us. Like, it's, mm. it looks like a cult where everything he says is wrong. Every criticism of him is a lie. 
and he can do no wrong and you know mm -hmm. whereas i can't remember the actual american uh, presidential candidate it was in 2004 he shouted funny at an event once that was it his challenge for president was over because he shouted funny um wow. and and there's a name for it i can't remember I, I honestly can't remember his name but this guy this guy here can be indicted four times including for like insurrection kind of shit you know yeah the dean screen it's called whatever you want to google it, it's called the, the dean screen the guy's name was howard dean dean screen trump can do it for all this stuff and like he's gets more popular it makes him stronger you know like yeah <laughs> You know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems that slip through your fingers. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that kind of describes Bob here in the sense that there's no, nothing he can do. The more controversial he gets, the more out there he gets, the more it only grows his popularity. And yeah. through to the, you know, the devotion of the Jack Black group where they're wearing trench coats and stuff to look like, you know, I guess Wall Street businessmen in a sense that's, um bob roberts yeah. has kind of made his fortune on wall street yeah. is maybe that was where the last word it's like oh, oh look at that people treating a um a political leader like he's a you know a demagogue who can do no wrong you're like yeah it's not that said it. <laughs> it's real also, I, I I think... it... sorry Sorry, I was just going to say it, I, I found it really interesting after, after watching this I looked at the wikipedia page and I was like oh this started off as an snl short skit it's it's interesting that that came from it and i can kind of see a little bit of it like there's the the way that the 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 movie is presented there's just a touch of that mockumentary star from this is spinal tap or um any of that troupe there's there's an element of it with those uh kind of the, the cameras following behind and people who are, the just the story just unfolding in front of us but at the same time i i kind of wish i'd seen this in 1992 because i probably would have laughed more because it just seemed more outlandish more ridiculous i mean this was like you probably know this much quicker than i would who would have been the president in 1992 in in our world of america was that uh or, Bush senior yeah, but, so um, uh, that was the year Clinton, Clinton Clinton won the election in '92, but he yeah. would have taken office in '93. Yeah, so it was you know like some of the 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 radical young guy that came out. I remember so like that conversation when Bill Clinton first came in and stuff. It was like, oh, isn't he too young to be in presidency? And the Simpsons even had that joke thing about him pulling out a saxophone, saxophone and playing at some point in throughout he did time. play the saxophone that yeah. was why it was a joke clinton actually would play the sax at at events yeah so it's, that was it's like okay um, we've we've seen this coming it's bizarre there's celebrity over someone who's actually qualified for the job <laughs> is is there yeah. any way of actually being qualified for the job i don't think there is well it's a different it's Look, I mean, I, I, it's not our country, not our political system. It's so we can talk really... about it with complete authority. <laughs> I guess so. But like, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, the, the hilarious thing, I guess, for me is that if you go back to Trump in, in 2016, it's like, a, hmm. it, for all, as bad as Hillary was, I think she would have made a significantly better 
uh, leader of a country than, than Trump, especially given he ran, he led the country into the, uh, the pandemic and how many hundreds of thousands of people would still be alive in that country if it had yeah. been the other way around. But, you know, that's a different story. And now we are picking political sides. So yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to start getting uh, abuse probably at some point. Okay. Um, I, I did find the story a little difficult to, a little aimless, I guess. I found it less engaging in a lot of ways than something like Primary Colors, if you've ever seen that with John yeah. basically playing Clinton and, and Emma Thompson. I yeah. guess that's a more straight ahead style of film where it's, you know, beginning, middle, end, as opposed to the mockumentary style that this is trying to play over the difference, I guess, between this and the uh, Spinal Tap documentary types is whereas the documentarians largely silent in those films, especially the later ones. Yeah. Um, we actually meet the documentarian. Documentarian's a character in this. Yeah. Um, but I, I sort of thought the story just kind of meandered along a little bit uh, in places. And I don't know, it didn't really seem to go anywhere uh, until it started to really pick up probably in the third act for me. Um, though, but, uh, you know, the, I thought Gene Carlo Esposito was good in this again. Yes. Uh, it's interesting to see him pop up yet again. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd ever noticed him before he played, uh, you know, the chicken man in uh, Gus in uh, Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul. Uh, yeah. I'm working my way through Better Call Saul's final season again now. And he's so fucking good in that. But, like, you pop him on. He's like, he's actually, you know, the second build character in this. He was in, of course, um, do the right thing. Uh, a mm -hmm. few months ago, we watched, and totally unrecognizable as well. Completely different type of character for one he's become most yeah. famous for playing now. And he's now basically famous for playing villains. Yeah, and he does um, that well. But... He, he's sort of the edgy ra radical in both of these sort of films, in a way. Um, yeah, but it was. It, I really thought it's the third act for this really kind of took my breath away in the end. Actually, I was. Spider kind of sagged in the middle a little bit, me, and just didn't really go anywhere in the middle of it. And mm. showing us what a horrible person Bob was, who writes some reasonably catchy country songs, um, <laughs> folk songs. Um, but the the shooting of Bob, I thought, was where this really started to the rubber started to hit the road in this. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think that is kind of maybe by design. I think it's um, the, there's a bit of an it, because they they keep on kind of mirroring it to his escalating slowly escalating popularity in the polls to the eventual getting getting the Senate seat. It's that idea of you can start a plate spinning on a stick, but as eventually the wobble becomes more and more and more and more and absurd. And you end up as the person trying to control it. You're just doing even more absurd things just to keep this plate going. And I think that is kind of what is trying to, what Tim Robbins might be trying to actually kind of allude to with the escalation of it. So like people are just enjoying him as a bit of a comic relief, so to speak. He's popular because of the music. And then as we, so like the, the first shift in it is, when Jack Black and these other brothers are there and they're just kind of very 
uncomfortably excited to see Bob and then it just becoming more fanatical and more fanatical and then the borderline worship that Bob gets to the end, no matter how much the plate has spun and the bullshit in the songs that he is spouting, he's 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 the plate and everyone else is just spinning to keep it in control it's 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 i think it's kind of intentionally done you're right and in in a way you you are kind of right it's kind of what needs to happen if you want to keep people paying attention you need to constantly keep you can't just talk normal political rhetoric if you last week you said crack is a ghetto drug don't take it this week you need to say something even more outrageous to kind of keep people's attention on you because what you yeah. is it was interesting during the Trump years, him doing things that were would have been considered unthinkable, you know, in the previous, you know, uh, administration became ho hum, we don't even notice this shit anymore until yeah. he does something completely wacko like tell somebody classified information or something and go, Oh well I declassify you know, like <laughs> it's yeah. you make a fair point. It um one thing I angle I liked on the I, I thought was an interesting choice um, for for Bob Roberts's character was uh, him being a direct pushback against the sixties and, mm. and pointing it out on a number of occasions. There were sixties, you know, uh, such a I'd say worshipped, but so fondly looked back upon by the boomers and in entertainment and film. You know, we look back at the sixties as you know, this you know, utopian time of free love and peace and great music and, you know, amazing mm -hmm. social change. Uh, and he's almost a direct reaction against that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in, you, you see it in the um, album titles, which are direct ripoffs of Bob Dylan ones, yeah. you know, like <laughs> the times are changing back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, or Bob on Bob, which is, a, a, you know, rip on blonde on blonde. Um, and... <laughs> It's, you know, the, the pushback of, of conservatism, of tradition against those ideals that came mm. from the 60s of, you know, freedom and equality and, you know, liberalism and, you know, those sorts of things, um, free love, that kind of thing. Uh, that that push, They were pushed back in the 60s against that conservatism, but now this is Bob Roberts and that conservative movement now pushing back. Mm. Um and it was really interesting that, that Tim has seen that, you know, 30 years ago as something because yeah. I I see a lot of that today. There's a whole movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of a trad wife movement, you know, of women who choose to live as if they were 50s housewives, you know, um, wow. and complete submission to their partners and husbands. It's a okay. thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the pushback of tradition yeah. against... Uh, I always kind of thought was I found it very strange considering the upbringing that we had. You kind of thought was you know, progress was a straight line that you sort of moved in the one direction, you know, at different speeds. But you always mm. moved towards it. But you don't stop and think that that is going to you know, what was there before is now pushing is going to push back against it at some point in time. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I am making no sense at all. So I'll no, 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 no. I, I I get it entirely because you know I have people come in and just saying, oh, I like the old traditional ways of doing things. It's like, oh, the ones where there's more errors, more possibility of your money being stolen, blah 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 blah. You, you like that, do you? 
like, oh, it's just so much easier. I have conversations with people who come in, like, oh, it's ridiculous. I can't go to the post office anymore to do to do these payments. I'm like, okay, um, it, where, where's your post office? It's like, it's in the shopping center. Like, so it, it, is it really any different? Just coming to a different location? It's like, oh, this is the way <laughs> it's been done all these years. It's like, well, okay. Seems like it's not actually a big deal for you. But all right, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> I am a, a member of a Facebook group, which is uh, looks at a lot of, you know, old Melbourne, you know, lots of photos of what Melbourne used to look like once upon a time. And I mm. like that kind of thing because I'm a bit of a geek for that. Mm. Um, and without fail, if it's a photo of a city, for example, there'll be a boomer in there going, oh, it was better back in those days. You get a car park on the street and there was no one on the road. You know, like, oh, we haven't made any progress in this city. Without fail, there's always one in the comments. Of course. And I've sort of taken now to sort of going, yeah, but you know, life was a lot better back then. Unless you were black, a woman, gay, different in any way, shape, or form. And yeah. Anyone who wasn't a white, straight man, you know. And I am I'm so not a social justice warrior, but it's just fucking true that you know, <laughs> it's life is a yeah. lot better. Yep. Back then, for everyone, you know, only for white guys, generally speaking, you know, we're like for everyone. You, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like everyone yeah, and they get really cranky when you point that out to them. So, so it's I, I guess I just still to be a bit of a shit really and stir mm. them up. But I think these are some of the ideas that tangentially at least Bob Roberts is playing with. It. He is yeah, Bob is the re the reaction, the pushback yeah. against all the progress that had been made up to that point in time. Interestingly, and I think that's what Trump was to a degree. That is that is the status quo, white America, largely, if ever wants to vote for him, saying we are not comfortable with giving up. You know, we've had to give things up because, of course, you know, you don't get to keep everything when you've got to bring more people yeah. you know, into the uh, into the um, into the fray. You've got to give up a little bit so someone else can have a piece. And these are people going, no, we don't want to give up anything. We are un we are afraid of what's going on and we are uncomfortable with it. And, you know, we're going to push back hard against that with, you know, um, in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand, you know. He just wants to watch <laughs> the world burn. Um, How many quotes are we going to have for this Bob Roberts section? <laughs> Which is one of, my, one of the things I love about Dark Knight is that it almost predicted Trumpism as well. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. that, that, I think, is the, the interesting part of Bob Roberts. I don't know. It's a terribly, and it's it's a strange film, but his love of fencing, you know, the initial mm. interview of Ray Wise and Alan Rickman yeah. while he's fencing in the background was a bit weird. But it, it again, it doesn't really feel too weird. I mean, yes, it's fencing is not exactly the sport that everyone thinks of. So like, oh yes, poor people can definitely do fencing They're like no that is exclusively for rich people or people who got a free gift card um so it kind of fits with that conservative thing but it's also like the how many times in the first kind of 150 days of trump's regime did the news kind of say ah oh, trump's at mar-a-lago shooting holes again like okay it's just another version of that <laughs> but it's this is I, I kind of like this movie overall, and I think it largely succeeds in what it's trying to do. The the comedy element of it doesn't quite 
ring to me anymore because it does just feel a little too close to home. But it definitely, I mean, Tim Robbins has become kind of synonymous in Hollywood in particular for his political um, activist. Very liberal. Kind of, yeah, he's a, he's a very, very liberal man. And the, the fact that this came from an SNL sketch and he was able to string together an actually very interesting movie that prophesied the future of politics in America. He, he seems to have quite a good idea of something like how politics moves. Maybe, you know, I wonder if it was the, um, the 92 was an interesting election in the US and it, it saw mm -hmm. the introduction of a third party candidate for the first time kind of had something resembling an impact on the result. And that being Ross Perot, who was a, a billionaire Texan yeah. oil oil uh, uh, oil man, I think, uh, where he made his money, and he didn't win any states or anything, but he was he not had enough of an impact that he was actually included in the debates, and mm. there's some argument that he maybe took votes off Bush, which helped Clinton win. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, it, it maybe the timings don't quite line up here, but. It's interesting. This film came out ninety two, and that kind of, you know, uber rich outsider was the, yeah. you know, that was the first time one of those really made a splash, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and probably the only time until until Trump in in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, it's it was the annoying thing about this. It was very difficult to find as well. It was yeah. a high profile movie. It was a pain in the neck. Yeah. That's what I get for picking obscure films. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I said, as you say, it's an, more of an interesting film. I don't know. For me, yeah. I found it more of an interesting time capsule, a filming yeah. a curiosity rather than something I would recommend to people that they sit down and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think the comedy has lasted, not in any kind of negative way. Where you know, like we saw. An article, I think it was Joe Blow that you re reposted about Greece being di difficult to watch and uh, challenging and not not socially appropriate anymore. It's like, oh. mind you, I think I said that when I saw that it's film after uh, in 2020? 2020, Yeah, it's it's not a good film. That one has very much aged correctly because it is bad in every conceivable sense of that description this is not a bad movie the comedy has just died on the vine because we now live in that kind of absurdist world difference there's a difference um, um i i i this you've got anything else to add i think no? it's time to hand the keys no. over to you sir so i am going another political movie i'm following david strathan but i could have uh, followed a couple of people to this movie there's one that i haven't seen and Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. I have not seen this either. Mm. How interesting. And I'm very curious about it because I have generally written off Steven Spielberg movies. I don't think that he's a bad movie maker, but I feel like he's very um, self-appealing now. And he doesn't, he's not, he's not the same director that he used to be in this like 80s and early 90s for sure. And that's right for him. He's been working hard and he's allowed to cruise. Um, but this one got a lot of Oscar attention. Daniel Day-Lewis is um, the titular Lincoln. It's got quite a cast to it as well. My goodness, is it got a cast. 
I'm bringing it Some up. Some of us say uh, we get the great uh, James Spader, I guess, was one of the other yes. ways he could have followed to this film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's got uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Sally Field, David Strathairn, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, James Spader, um, Hal Holbrook, Tommy Lee Jones, um, Jackie L. Haley, Bruce McGill, you'll recognise his face, no doubt, Tim Blake Nelson, Jared Harris, Lee Pace, Oh, it's a it's a sausage fest that 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 much is for sure, but um, it's apparently very good. So giving it a try, why not? It will be interesting. Like I, um, everybody loves Hamilton, but I found mm. it cloying because mm. of the hero worship of you know America, good, what a great country, yay, you know, mm. um, and yeah, I don't know. As a non-American, I found that a little bit much. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously it's a, it's a wonderful place. You and I have both been there. Great mm-hmm. people, love yep. visiting, love yep. the, uh, my American friends. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, sometimes they just go a little over the top with being American. They're so keen on it, you know, it can be a bit much. Maybe we should just counter it more with Australia and England. You see, the, the thing is, as soon as you try and be too very pro English, you suddenly it suddenly feels you're like you're just territory. doing something that the Empire from Star Wars. It's really not. Uh, <laughs> but we'll workshop. We'll workshop. <laughs> Could we uh, move on to something a little newer? Yes, a little let's more do that. Let's do that. Uh, let's uh, chat about Asteroid City. Asteroid City, the latest Wes Anderson movie to ever Wes Anderson. And does this does this film Wes Anderson all over itself? <laughs> it's yeah. it's um so uh following a writer on his world famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech obsessed family to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his world view disrupted forever uh written by wes anderson and roman coppola who yep. is yes one of those coppolas yep. um direct <laughs> he uh directed of course by wes anderson himself mm-hmm. quite the cast he really does bring the cast in now yes wes he anderson. does jason schwartzman scarlett johansson tom hanks jeffrey wright brian cranston edward norton uh, Rupert Friend, Maya Hawke, Hope Davis, Steve Park, Lee Schreiber. Uh, who am I forgetting? Tilda Swinton. Uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. It's, yep. Steve Carell. Um, it's all. It's a huge, huge cast. Bob Balaban yeah. is in here. The Fisher Stevens is in this again as well. Another uh, Academy Award winner. Rita Wilson, uh, Willem Dafoe, Margot Jeff Robbie. Um, it's uh, it's, Jeff, of course, it's, Jeff Goldblum's in it. It's absolutely yeah. It's it's almost stunt castingly brilliant. And yeah. here's the thing, bro. If you, I think I saw his last film a couple of years ago, which was the Paris one. Um, oh yes, um, about the newspaper. Paper. I forget the name. The French. The French Dispatch. Yes. Yes. Uh, and. I really didn't like that film. I was mm. bored silly after about halfway through the film. Mm. Um, because I think Wes has become one of these guys who you either get it or you don't. Um, and I don't think there are too many directors who really split people like that. David Lynch would be another mm. one I can think yeah. of. 
sometimes Tarantino does that a bit these days. If yeah. you're either in it, into it or you're not. Um, yeah. And but I wonder if there are any quite who split people down the middle like Wes Anderson. His films are so stylized. You yeah. cannot for a second mistake it for anybody else Mm-mm. except for Wes Anderson. Even Quentin Tarantino, yeah. who's very famous for having his own directorial style, highly stylized violence, swearing yeah. and you know, 70s culture references. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think he has the same stylistic um you know connection it's like, that Wes let, Anderson. Let's has just put it this way. If you take a still a still screenshot from a Tarantino movie if you're well versed in Tarantino, you could probably pick it as Tarantino. You could take a screenshot of any Wes Anderson movie, and you will know straight away that it is Wes Anderson purely because of the use of pastel. And his um his um visuals are so beautifully staged, and it's so careful. Mm-hmm. It's like a each frame is almost an oil painting. Yeah, it's so. The aesthetic is is so incredible, and mm. the colors pop. And so, I love the way this film looks. This mm-hmm. film looks incredible. Um, by the way, did you see the um, AI generated Wes Anderson Star Wars trailer? I did, and I that would was funny. Watch that I, I would watch the watch shit that. out of that. Yep. Um, but you can. It's gorgeous. That uh, the thing is, I think he concentrates so much. On, on his visuals, I I almost suspect he doesn't really give a shit about the story sometimes because I was really keen to see this. I was like, surely the French Dispatch is one out of the box, and you know, like everyone has a bad one. Even Christopher Nolan's last film kind of sucked before Oppenheimer. Um, but no, this is exactly the same as the French Dispatch, which also looked incredible, had an amazing cast. It just goes nowhere. And so does this film. It goes absolutely nowhere for me. But what do you think of it? I I think I'm still on board the Wes Anderson when Wes Anderson train, but his sense of he's not really pushing himself in any way, shape, or form. He has refined the visual style so meticulously. Like the his last three films, at the very least are so so minutely designed going back to uh the one uh the royal tenenbaums for example totally different sensation the writing element of it is still there the kind of the 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 bitterly dry comedy of moments of like the the way that um, Gene Hackman kind of delivers a line, so like this is my adopted daughter Margot, and it's it's that unnecessary piece of information delivered in a dry manner that is just kind of like <laughs> that's that's Wes Anderson's comedy. It's not laugh out loud funny. It's just <laughs> it's it's smirk funny. It's uh, yeah, and and it and kind I, of always it's... has been, but. I am. Um, you make a good point. Sorry, uh, stop. Let's go. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just. Uh, but as he's kind of gone on, he's become more interested in that visual element of it, and I think a large portion of that is the result of uh, his Mr. Fox movie, the stop motion animation full three 
there, it completely pandered in every single sense to his now very obvious obsession with detail, minute detail. That was stop motion animation and he loves that and he has used stop motion animation in some degree throughout every one of his following films from the um, animals in Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu to the alien in Asteroid City in the 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 funniest element of the whole film is just the, the, the way the alien kind of comes down and it's just a beautifully quiet moment and it just there's stupid bug eyes and the way that it's animated it just looks silly and it's like <laughs> pure wes anderson comedy right there the rest of it everything else around it just hangs so much on Oh, this is um, this is an entertaining conversation because it's quick, witty repartee between the two, and then there's a pause, and then the witty repartee keeps going again. Isn't that good and clever and smart? And aren't you feeling silly because you don't get it? But you're going to smirk anyway because you do don't want to stand out in the crowd. That's what he does. <laughs> it's very frustrating. I think you're. Um... <laughs> I liked Isle of Dogs quite a bit, so mm. um, I, I maybe that's kind of misled me a little bit here. Um, I, I find the dialogue difficult to listen to. It's sort of a lot of it's fast talky, you know, very, as you sort of said, almost very snappy. Sort of, I, I almost feel like I need to have the subtitles on sometimes to understand what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I, I guess the core of it. He, he reminds me a little of David O. Russell. I remember David O. Russell years ago said he wasn't interested in character. He was interested in characters, not story. Yeah. And I think maybe Wes Anderson's been to the same school. I think he's interested mm. in these people as characters because they are individually quirky and interesting characters. Mm. Um, but that, for me, is not enough for this to be mm. an interesting film. I need an overarching story to these characters to do something in in order to make me want to watch them be quirky and interesting characters and mm. it's absolutely not there for me in asteroid city what the fuck is this film actually even about i don't know it, but that's that's the thing it is not about anything and the perfect identifier of that is the fact that it is staged in a, a three-part act play and it's just going through and it is literally a quarantine movie Maybe he's trying to say something about how his thoughts on quarantine and following COVID and how we create we created these unusual attachments and relationships with people and then quarantine has lifted and those relationships have changed and gone and disappeared and everything. But what he should have done, putting on the armchair producer's hat, if he wanted to do this and just throw a bunch of semi-interesting characters into a place where they can't escape from of Asteroid City during a literal lockdown or quarantine, then they go, okay, Act 1 is about this character, Act 2 is about this character, Act 3 is about this character. Because Jason Schwartzman, whilst generally I find him very um, engaging actor, his character, um, Augie, is just too dry to be the primary focus throughout the whole thing and it would have been more interesting to have so like him and his family arriving in asteroid city that being the 
Act 1. Act 2 could very well have been about um, Scarlett Johansson's Mitch character. And then we still keep Augie in, but he's not the, the main focus. And we just get her interacting with some of the other people. And then the third part, it's about the kids doing what they do to liberate themselves from the quarantine because they release information about the alien. But instead, pandemic. it's a spaghetti ball of this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. This happens. Like, uh, uh. A spaghetti ball of stuff. You just throw yeah. it at the screen. And, you know, uh, interesting you talk about COVID. Whereas in 2023, Wes Anderson talked about the COVID-19 pandemic, how the pandemic inspired the film. And it's a story saying, I don't think there would be a quarantine in the story if we weren't experiencing it. It wasn't deliberate. Writing is the most improvisational part of the whole process. It relies on having nothing. Um, maybe that makes sense to you. It makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> I can again, really that like would to make... have something when I'm writing. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think, I guess the key takeaway here for me is that it, uh, I can't tell you what the fuck this film's about. I thought the framing process of a play made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. It just, it was just there reasons it didn't make it didn't actually i don't know i have no idea why that that's was another it. person who's in this movie brian cranston brian cranston is the narrator um and, and one of the funniest moments is where um midge walks up to someone starts talking and then brian cranston's there so like i'm not supposed to be in this scene and he just walks off <laughs> one of the few smiles in the entire that was, that was pretty um, funny i um I don't. I think I've, I think if I'm going to go on the limb here and say I think the only one of his films I've ever liked was Isle of Dogs, which I I really liked. I, I have, oh sorry, tell a lie. Grand Budapest Hotel. For some reason, his quirkiness and worked in that film. Maybe mm. it's because it had a better story and it kind of all came together, mm -hmm. and it just worked in that. I have not liked anything else he's done particularly. I didn't like Rushmore. I didn't like the Royal Tenenbaums. I didn't like the Life Aquatic. Didn't like French Dispatch, and I hated this film. I hated it. I absolutely hated this film. Like, I, it's so much talent on screen, and so much effort has gone into the way it looks. And I like, I said, I love how it looks. The aesthetic speaks to me so much. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to like it. I was excited to see it after the trailers. I'm like, surely he's got this one right. Surely this is going to be something a little bit different and for a Wes Anderson film, but it was not. If you don't like with the other rest of his films, you're not going to like this one. If you do like the rest of his films or appreciate it a little bit, like George is a little bit on the fence here. He likes some of them, not others. Yeah, uh, I think I'm a bit like if you are at all into what he does in Rushmore, you know, Bottle Rocket, uh, mm. Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, that kind of thing, especially if you like the Frank's Dispatch, you will probably like this film. In, mm -hmm. uh, unlike me, because I think it's the fucking write-off, and I will not be uh, um, rushing back to see whatever it is that Wes does next. I mean, what I wouldn't get to see Wes paired with a decent writer. That's that's the thing. I I was kind of popping, cooking in the back of my head, so like other directors in the in the Wes Anderson kind of camp. Zack Snyder is kind of one of them, where he's. Actually, the things that he presents on screen generally look really cool, but he's not a good writer. 
He's just not. And anyone who says otherwise, oh, you you are reading way more into his scripts than he is. Um, it's it's all like okay, your visual style and the way that you direct it is awesome. Just get someone else to write the script, please, and don't yes. fart around with it. Having now seen the trailer for Rebel Moon, I hadn't seen it before we show last week. I suspect that criticism of Zach is going to continue um, after this one. That is one of my 10 hours or something stupid like that. Oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, look, that's. I don't want to go any deeper on this one. It's annoying me talking about it. It had so much potential. <laughs> and, and yet again, an amazing cast was just squandered on uh cinematic masturbation um, by Wes Anderson. <laughs> As I said at the start, he has Wes Anderson all over himself. Yeah. Um managed to double his budget. It was $25 million budget, 50 million box office. It's hard to make your box office back these days. People aren't really going back to the cinema unless mm -hmm. it's something big, you know. Um I understand yep. Blue Beetle has just limped over the line to 100 million itself, which yeah. I, is not good for, for DC. Um, no. That's a difference. Not I haven't seen any it. Come, I don't think it's come out here yet. That, um, so I, we can't talk about it, but you know, yeah. Uh, we will eventually, I am sure. That is we will. We'll our get to it. newer movie, Astro City. That's a maybe from George, I think. Maybe a yes or a maybe. Um, I think that's a. Maybe if you've if you've really enjoyed at least four of Wes Anderson's movies in the past. There you go. That's, that's the criteria. Yes. Moving on. Let's move on to something now for something completely different. A man with three buttocks. Um mm. also You said you wouldn't tell them. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Uh, let's talk about your next. This is our yes. our film, but the this time seven of, years. Uh, of Destiny Gaddis. This is from uh, so many years ago. This was released last, roughly this time, uh, uh, well, last show two weeks ago, yeah. uh, in twenty thirteen. And believe it or not, this is a film I've actually seen twice before twenty twenty eleven here, but I think it came actually mm. was released in twenty thirteen. So. Not sure mm. what's up with that, but anyway, my sources said 2013, and I'll stick by that. Um, <laughs> uh, it was the, um, it was released at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2011. It was worldwide theatrically released 2013. So, so both it does qualify, yes. <laughs> I had seen this film twice before, but I was struggling to remember where. I think it might have been on a plane or something, or in a hotel in Japan, maybe because it was in English. <laughs> um, uh, when the Davison family comes under attack during their wedding anniversary getaway, the gang of mysterious killers soon learns that one of the victims harbors a secret talent for fighting back. This film is uh, directed by Adam Wingard. We talked a little about him last week. He has gone on to make a few other things, including <laughs> Kong versus Godzilla versus Kong from a couple of years ago, yeah. the Blair Witch remake in 2016, and mm. The Guest in 2014, which I think was actually pretty decent from memory. Um, as written by Simon Barrett, who I don't know has gone on to do a whole lot. Uh, I've ever worked a fair bit with the director. Uh, there are no stars in this really film. I, I'm sorry, I still can't really forgive Anne Wingard for the travesty that was Death Note on Netflix. 
Oh, <laughs> you haven't seen it, so. Um, don't, but, just uh, don't. I'm saving you. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't have anyway because it's not really my jam. It's based on the manga, isn't it? Yes. Um, I, I generally give those a wide berth. Even if I like manga, I'd probably give them a wide berth. You noted last week their record for live action um, adaptations is not good. Nope. Um, I guess we'll get to some of that later on. Uh, yes. <laughs> There is really no no actor of note in this film that I'm aware of, short of the main star, Shani Vinson, who plays Aaron, who is an Australian actor, mm. uh, who actually plays an Australian in the film. And really the only notable reason I know who she is, because she was on Home and Away for a really, really long time. For those who are not aware of what Home and Away is, it's an Australian soap opera. A little bit like neighbors if you're familiar with that one but it mm -hmm. is also a lot of talent has gone through home and away i think including the likes of chris hemsworth uh at some point. Right. um so it's kind of a neighbors i think i think i think margot robbie was a neighbors girl rather than a home and away I girl think so, um, yeah. so i never i don't watch either of these shows but it is kind of a talent academy for some really big stars i think guy pierce came through that way as well uh, Melissa George um, at different times as well. So mm -hmm. I I remember seeing thinking Shani Vincent had a chance to be uh, something like that level of star. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you What did you make of your next? I I was so bored. I was so bored. I was not interested. I was not interested in any of the deaths. I thought they were just boring i thought everything about it was just so boring i've 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 not felt offended by something's boredom so much as this movie it was i i don't i didn't look at any trailers i've not seen this before i thought okay you know what? i'm just gonna go in and experience it and i just found myself looking at my phone because I was just <laughs> not interested in what was happening on screen. As like, I, I don't. Yes, all of these people are fucking assholes. Just all die. I'm happy for that, and let me finish this movie. <laughs> I was bored. Wow, it's a scathing review. Yeah, go and let me and say you didn't like it. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. What are you talking about? No, <laughs> no. I see. I, I, I go ahead and disagree with you here. I. <laughs> quite liked this when I saw it 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I must say, I don't know that it's aged terribly well. It mm. is very much of its time. Mm. And it's a house under attack film. Yeah. Uh, there are a few of them around at the time. The other one I'm thinking of is The Strangers. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that one. That had um, Liv Tyler. It's a few years That's before right. this. Yeah. Um, similar sort of thing. And, you know, the, the animal mask thing. Yeah. I, I can't think of any direct examples, but I feel like that was a thing that people were doing at the time. Well, it, I mean, this was sort of like soon after, um, like, there must have been one or two Purge movies out before this, I think. And it's like that idea of the home invasion and defending what's yours, etc. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, it's a little bit like that. It's like a home-based yeah. version of... Um, taken in a way you know what she has yeah. very special sort of skills um i think that as you said the characters are kind of all repulsive bar erin i think 
uh, who really I think is we're supposed to root for, but I don't mm. think she comes across as an asshole. I think she's not given one of the weaknesses of the film is it comes straight into the action with the killers basically taking out the next door neighbors to the Davidson yeah. family in a fairly brutal manner. Um, yeah. And the central conceit of them writing your next on the window or the mirror really actually ever make a lot of sense. It's just sort of cool thing that they could put in a trailer and yeah. and almost like they came up for title next and then thought first, sorry. And then thought, okay, how do we work your next into the film? So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah. What I think if the film falls down a little bit for me is we aren't given any time to really meet these characters or figure out who's who or, you know, feel any way about them particularly before they start dying. Um, yeah, there's a couple of them who are like one of the couples we meet who are, uh, while they're getting rid of bed, they make nasty comments about Erin and her accent being really grating, which, you know, mm. being an Australian, they are assholes. <laughs> and I think we're supposed to feel that way about them, but they're pricks. But that's yeah. kind of all we get. And then you bang, you're straight into you know, the, the killers yeah. stalking the house and killing people with rather unusual methods. Like they're using crossbows and shit. And you're kind of like, mm. you're in the middle of a forest. Like there's literally nobody around for miles. I talk about that all the time about how I said mm. is, why would you use a gun? <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, um, and why and they had to go about And things like that. It's like, okay. And I guess that's in the, the whole plan doesn't make any sense. The whole plan being, sorry, spoilers for a you know, 10 year old film. <laughs> but, um, Aaron's boyfriend, Crispian, has conceded, uh, basically uh, worked together with his brother. Uh, is it Felix? I think. Uh, um, yes. Um, they've basically, um, you know, uh, conspired to knock off their family so that they can get their inheritance early. And yeah. so they've hired these men in animal masks to come in and kill the family. They'd be a far more efficient ways of doing it rather than you know, stalking them like a horror movie, right? Like, Yeah, um, but, that, it, but there, a, there's a throwaway line towards the end where it's sort of like, oh, it's supposed to look like just some mad psychopaths came through and just ruined everything. It's like, uh, I don't know if that's actually a good good plan you've got there. No. You're quite a great <laughs> man. Not a great plan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, and there's lots of ways to make it look like a psychopath did it, right? You know, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it turns out that Erin has a certain set of skills and that she grew up next door to Kevin McAllister, apparently, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and goes full on uh, adult style home alone uh, on the guys. Um, yeah. And it's apparently very good at killing people. And there's like, yeah, there's like one line that kind of explains it, you know? Oh, I might peep my dad and, mum were a survivalist and i grew up in a commune or something and i had to learn how to survive and you could a war or something you're like okay i i think i don't know i kind of think it's the film goes in a slightly more interesting angle at that point in time in a sense that i think that that's a nice way of her putting that she spent a lot of time playing fallout (laughs) well i've played a lot of fallout too but i don't know (laughs) that i can take on a bunch of psychopaths and kill people with a blender um (laughs) which she does at the end but I liked the idea that instead of it being the damsel in distress in most slasher films, the damsel becomes the hunter uh, in this film. Well, let's talk about that. Because 
I feel like um, for a long time now, that has not been the norm of the damsel in distress. She is the one who, and it has now become kind of stereotypical and boring for it to be the woman who kind of comes comes together. It's like, yeah, we embrace that. I love it. We had fantastic kind of character development of the character of Laurie through the Halloween series with Jamie Lee Curtis and so many other elements of that. Like one of the most famous ones, and especially I would imagine inspired this, the Scream series. Um, it's kind of par for the course for... I think it's a bit different to Scream, though, in the sense that Sydney in those films isn't the hunter. She is a upgrade to the screaming subgirl in Friday the 13th. Fair point. She is not particularly... She survives, and she has some now some wits about her, mm. but she doesn't end up hunting the, the hunters, which mm. is what Erin um, does in this film, is she becomes... She's dangerous, and, you know, um, they don't know they're being hunted necessarily, but uh, in the end, she's the fucking... She's the uh, apex predator in this mm. film. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. Mm. I don't know it's been done quite like this before, and I don't think it's been done particularly well. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Um, it, it's, its flaws were on display for me quite a lot this time mm. around, and I think I might have given it too much of a pass the first time I saw it. Uh, as I said, it's showing its age in parts. Yeah. Um, it was a million-dollar budget as well, so yeah. we're being, maybe we're being a little hypercritical of something that was done on a million dollars. <laughs> I, what my problem with it is, is the stuff that it didn't do well doesn't cost money. Yeah. I'm not sitting here saying the CGI sucked because no. I don't know. I thought the effects were okay, really. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for a, it, it was reasonably gory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you like that kind of thing, and, and I do. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a better story, a little bit more keep, your, keep it in your pants a little bit longer, filmmakers, before you start killing people. Yeah, and they just feel something about at least some of these characters. You yeah. know, if people like within five minutes of being introduced, they're getting knocked off, and you're like, I, "Why should I care about that?" You know, yeah. like it's the more interesting one. Is something like Scream, where yeah, we got Drew Barrymore being killed in the first you know five minutes, but then the rest of the characters we got to meet and got to know, and they mm-hmm. were well written, likable, interesting characters, and then you can start doing things with them. So something yeah. like that might have worked, I think, a little bit better. It, it, I think. The filmmaker isn't a particularly talented filmmaker, and I don't think Simon Barrett's a particularly great writer. Apparently, mm. they are part of something called the Mumblegore film movement. Okay, sure. um, which All is right. kind of like low rent, sort of you know, guerrilla style, yeah, uh, filmmaking. But anyway, um, it's I don't know. It maybe I as I said, it's obvious to me now maybe why Shani didn't quite make it in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I there, there were certain elements of it, like it's kind of trying to be a bit of a, a comedy as well. And I did, I will admit that I did find it funny. Where, um, uh, what's his what's his fucking name? Um, uh, Crispian at the end says, "Oh, I'm a pacifist. I don't like the sight of blood." It's like, okay, that that is mildly funny, um, but at the same time, it's too little too late and not funny enough oh <laughs> uh, well it's it was the wheel decided for us and the wheel will decide for mm-hmm. us again 
Yes. Well, I spin the wheel for this week. Yes, please do. Okay. We have some interesting choices that might be hard to find this week. So we will okay, spin okay. the wheel. And it looks like we're going to the 90s. Ooh. We are. Ooh. 1993 is the winner. So okay. we are okay. going to see a film shot in Australia. Favorite not an Australian favorite is not an Australian. Not an Australian film, but <laughs> we are seeing uh, Fortress, <gasps> starring Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert, I remember this movie. Yes, wow. I think they, re- they almost remade it a few years ago. That Guy Pearce film where he was a prison in space. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. Uh, I remember seeing this film on VHS when it came out yeah. with my uh, with my best friend at the time, and. Uh, um, it's not on stream anywhere, so we're gonna have to uh work out, see if I can find there's a copy somewhere. Um, apparently, it's not available anymore, but um, it, this is a well, what would you describe it? A sci fi yeah. horror action thing, yeah. It's it's um almost uh, a little bit like uh, if someone's went, oh, you know, that opening prison sequence from the running man let's kind of set a whole movie with that idea but it's uh, <laughs> i love that Let's well this thing did well though um yeah it it, it uh, was a high grossing film at the time yeah i think they made a sequel if i'm not mistaken they did yeah uh, I, I don't know if christopher lambert was involved uh, in fairness but yeah um, that will be uh next week's uh, he was involved movie. and it's got was one he? of the best taglines Fortress 2, re-entry. Ah, not yeah. bad. <laughs> and you just face it, Christopher Lambert was less than picky with his film roles in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I suggest he probably remains such. I haven't seen him in a film for a very long time. Yeah. Um, you and I were trying to explain on, on, on the weekend the uh, joys of Christopher Lambert uh, to yes. Michelle, who's never seen Highlander. No. Um, but uh, even the selling point of a, Span- a Scotsman playing a Spaniard with a Scottish accent and mm-hmm. uh, a Frenchman playing a Scotsman with a French accent, uh, it wasn't enough to, to get the film the No, nothing. I don't know. It's hard sometimes we to understand. We also what... forget to mention the amount of Queen music that's in it. That might be a selling point. I don't know, and though. Talk <laughs> about um, uh, Clancy Brown. And Kurgan. The Kurgan. Highlander. Uh, Fantastic. It's like we um we have two cats in the house, and quite regularly they'll sit on a bed, a couch, a desk, and they'll get into it with each other and go, and then they'll scare one of them off. And I'll just look at Michelle and go, there can be only one. And she has absolutely no friggin' idea what I am talking about. So, uh, <sighs> well, you can't be helped, I suppose. Not everyone. It's wonderful, but as, as with every single person on this planet, she has her flaws. Indeed. Well, look, I mean, you know, Highlander, I mean, at least, you know, I mean, I could have done worse. I could have started with Highlander with a three or was it two The Quickening? I can't remember. Under two The Quickening, yes. I think we watched that for the show a while ago. And yes, we did. Awful, awful. I, I tagged the show Highlander Poo because I'm a grown <laughs> ass man. <laughs> and, and I think that's still some of your best work. <laughs> Shall we move on to binge, binge browse? Bird. Yes. Binge what browse. have you got for us this week? 
I'm going to talk about um, the big new release for Netflix, first and foremost, which is One Piece. It is based on the anime and manga of the same name. It is possibly the longest running um, anime. It just, it, it, it's got over 1,500 episodes or something like that. It's ridiculous. Um, follows young Monkey D. Luffy as he adventures off to um, become the king of the pirates and find the One Piece, legendary piece of treasure um, left over by the now deceased Goldie Roger, who was a famous pirate of the time. This is a very, oh my god, people are obsessed with One Piece, and this had a lot to live up to. Um, the characters are iconic in certain circles. And we got, in traditional Netflix manner, season one, dumped all in one go. I have watched all of it. It is largely entertaining, if somewhat a little empty, because they, as you can generally expect with something that has so fucking much content, to get to a finishing point for the season, they have to leave out a lot of little bits to help inform on the characters. Um... I'll forgive them for that because they actually, I feel like, did quite a good job on the casting. We've got people that I do not know um, for the main characters. Um, Inakai Godo, uh, Godoy, or God Godoy, I think, um, as Monkey D. Luffy, and he's delightful. He seems to get the general idea of the Luffy character from from the existing source material and he brings it quite interestingly into the the real world shall we say um he's not too annoying they tame back a lot of it like in a lot of um animes it's like they have their catchphrase and they hit it every time they can and it's like the i have this in mental audio in my head of what they would do if naruto became a live action tv series and it's like they're the way they translated his um, kind of catchphrase from Japanese into English for the, for the subtitle version, it was just always, believe it! And having that repeated on and on and on would be like nails in my skull. And there's elements of that that um, the character of Luffy does. He constantly goes on about um, uh, the One Piece and being King of the Pirates and things. And it comes up maybe a little too much in this but not so much that i'm offended uh you've got emily rudd who plays nami um uh, makan who plays roronora zorro um morgan davies plays kobe um jacob romero is usopp there's i think the only famous face in it is vincent regan uh, who plays Garp, and I can't actually remember where I know him from. Oh, yeah, he was in 300, and Troy, and Clash of the Titans. He's kind of one of those typical kind of grizzled older men with muscles. Um, and that's what he does here. Um, I feel like there was someone else in it that I recognized, but I can't remember their name, so move on. Um, it's fine. The episodes are an hour long. 
So you're getting a good amount of content. The action sequences are quite good. The special effects of Luffy's kind of stretching ability are pretty good. Overall, they do a fine job. I think it's a good starting point. Um, and as is always the case with anything based on a, on a manga, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger from there. Um, the main villain of this chapter, shall we say, is Arlong, who is a fish person. He's got a sword swordfish kind of nose and the prosthetics look pretty good and the way that they move in the water and stuff they've invested time into making this look good um i don't know if this is going to get much in the way of new business that aren't already invested in one piece because it's a little obtuse it's a little obtuse i enjoy one piece i've watched a lot of it um but even I kind of can look at it and go, you got to kind of know a lot. you got to already it be is. invested. It's it's a bit like when um, uh, The Legend of Vox Machina came out and you gave it a try. They're so like, no, there's too much. There's too much in jokes and too much required reading before I can enjoy this. I feel like this, maybe not quite to that level, but it's close. It's close. So I would give it a browse for the, for the lay person. But it's a strong for a fan. For a fan, I give it a high browse. I am going to go a soft browse. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I'm coming back to it if I am. But season three of Only Murders in the Building. You have not bought this up. I think I talked about season one when that came out a couple of years yes, ago. We, we uh, and I think. And you talked about season I, two. And I think I think I had the same result in season one that I'm having here. Mm. I start strong, and the first few episodes really grab me, pull me in, and I go, yeah, I want to see this, see more of this. Mm. And as it goes on, the less interesting the seasons get mm. to the point where I, I don't know if I ever finished season one, to be honest, or season two. I get about halfway through and go, oh, I can't be bothered. It's just... <laughs> Quirky people being quirky for the sake of being quirky. Um, and I don't know, the jokes just seem to... It's like we don't have enough steam to get the story across the line. Mm. Um, it, it almost like that would work better as a two-hour uh, Knives Out style special or something mm. like that for me. Um, I, I should note here I'm on my own here. I think the... Uh, Season three's episodes are all in the seven and eights, so though I should note they're going down as the season goes on. Mm. Um, season three basically concerns a famous Hollywood actor played by uh, Paul Rudd, mm -hmm. who is appearing in a play directed by uh, Martin Short's character, Oliver Putnam. It's his mm -hmm. big Broadway comeback, and he dies the, the night of uh, the first show mm. uh, again in the apartment building they all live in after being shoved down a elevator shaft oh look i'm just, okay look i'm spoiling it a little bit but you know like this happens in the first episode so you know and you know he's gonna die right like you bastard so i of course say yet again set out to explore the murder for their podcast mm -hmm. everybody's fine in mm -hmm. the, you know the uh meryl streep pops up in this season 
And you can see that as an actor, she is head and shoulders above everybody else's performances. She is an incredible actor. There's a couple of moments in this where, so she is a, she, she's an actor, she's playing an actor in the play uh, of uh, the Broadway show. Uh, hmm. And she has, when she has to audition, you're like, wow, you forget what an incredible actor uh, she can be. Mm. Uh, I don't know that this, the rest of it's really her though. Like, no, I, we're basically going sitting there going, also, I assume she's the killer, right? Like, I mean, she's probably the killer because she's like the most famous person in the show. You're going to get Meryl Streep to appear in your TV show and she's not the killer? I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, obviously, the series is yet to finish. It is six episodes in. Yeah. So it could be anybody at this point in time. You know, if you liked the other two seasons, I think you'll like this one too. But mm-hmm. if you're a bit like me and you're kind of on the fence about it, mm. it's not any better now. It's not any worse. It's fine. Yeah. And okay. Have you got anything else? I do. I've got two more things. One of them. You remember... Last year, I think it was the um, Adam Driver dinosaurs space movie 65. Yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I watched that, I shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, it didn't look good, it looked a bit <laughs> like After Earth. It's it's better than After Earth, that's for sure. Yeah, graphically, it looks better. The story overall is about the same. Um, Adam Driver is fine. I, if if I was his agent, I would just be so desperately saying, "Look, Adam, don't do major movies. You you, you clearly aren't interested in them. You, you you clearly don't put effort in when it when it's an indie movie or an alternative movie. Then yes, you you really bring the goods. But every time he's been in a major motion picture, it's like, okay, I'm bored." <laughs> Word on the street is he's going to be in the sequel to Heat. Yeah, and apparently he's one of the contenders for um, in, the, in the Fantastic Four as well. Um, it's like, oof, no, just no. I would Def- be giving Marvel a very wide berth right now. I mean, yeah. they're they're on they're kind of the sinking ship. Yeah, well, anything attached to Disney, frankly. Um, which, um, so unsurprisingly, I'm going to give sixty four a big burn. No, 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 no. The one that I would like That's a to no. hmm? talk, talk That's a little no. about is um, another Disney property. It is the latest piece of Schmish uh Star Wars, and that is the Ahsoka series. We've got four episodes out now, and as is the rule that I laid down, it is to pass every time. If a TV show is released weekly, but the first episode is partnered up with the second episode, it's because there's pacing issues, ladies and gentlemen, and they weren't able to get a good pace for one episode and just release that. They needed two because it's a whole episode is set up and then a more action-orientated second one. So when people come out of that first day of, oh, it's new release, that was fantastic. It's like, well, the first half was build up, the second half was pay off. That's what happened with Infinity War. Um, this is... Dave Filoni is is everyone who loves Star Wars loves Dave Filoni because Dave Filoni is a Star Wars fan. 
and he is making Star Wars for the Star Wars fans. He's one of the prime people behind Mandalorian. He's been involved in or one of the reasons why the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and all of that stuff is popular and people love it and love what he's done. Ahsoka is based on the character of Ahsoka, which was introduced in the Clone Wars animated series, which um, became very, very popular, wasn't able to finish the final season or something, and they came out with uh, Rebels and the Bad Batch to kind of finish those stories off. And throughout the whole thing, if you haven't watched any of that stuff, ladies and gentlemen, you are lost because they are referring to characters as like, I don't know who that is. I don't know what that is. I don't care. They're not giving me any information as to who that person is or why I should care about them. So why should I care? I don't care. Um, this is the last completed work of uh, Ray Stevenson before his passing earlier this year. Um, it's got David Tennant as the voice of one of the um, uh, uh, Hu Yang. It has got one of the our more enjoyable actresses, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, in it, as well as Rosario Dawson taking on Ahsoka Tano role. And the this, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it just because it came out very recently. I'm going to put spoilers up for this one. You probably won't care about this, Travis. There is <clears throat> a cameo by Anakin Skywalker at the end of this episode. And this will make you feel very, very old, Travis. They de-age. Hayden Christensen. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that that made me feel ancient. You know, at the end of, you know, um, at the last crusade where he withers and dies very quickly. That kind of happened to me. I'm like, no. He was, he was a bratty kid. No, we, we don't need to de-age him. He's fine. Whew. But, yeah, they did. Um, this is... This is all build up. This show is all build up. It's it's payoff for something. If you haven't watched any of the animated Star Wars, you're not going to know or care about these characters. And it's build up talking about um, Thrawn. And if you were an old school Star Wars fan, you would have grown up knowing about the Thrawn character, General Thrawn, and how amazing. Oh, shut up. I'm not talking to you, Siri. Um, once so every week, she's got to get it on the action. So she's our secret third guest, but um, it's like okay, if you don't know that, there's, there's nothing here, they're not actually kind of foreshadowing anything well, and the, everything that has been so, like, oh, what's going to happen? You're not asking that question because you know, like, oh, Ahsoka got knocked off an edge. The show is called Ahsoka. She's not going to be dead. So come on, don't don't even play, don't even play. And it's not it's so that you can do these these force visions and all of that stuff. You're like okay, okay. Again, Star Wars is not for me anymore, ladies and gentlemen. This is it's not bad. I'm not going to burn Ahsoka. It's just I don't care. I'll put this as a very soft browse. For anyone who is remotely interested in Star Star Wars, you're gonna have to do something. I guess if you've been following it, if you're right up to date with everything that it's yeah. referencing, people seem to be liking it. It's got good ratings in IMDb. So if you're a fan yeah. of this particular character going through where mm -hmm. it came from, 
I enjoy Rosario Dawson a lot. Yeah, same. And I thought she was Ahsoka was an interesting character in season two of Mandalorian, I think. Yeah. Um, she popped up in and I was like, but I don't think it's a bit like when Marvel announced an Echo spin-off series from Hawkeye, and you're like, Yeah, why? Who's yeah. interested in seeing that? Like, mm-hmm. no one's interested in seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um uh and I I kind of thought this is maybe a step too far. A spin-off of a spin-off. Mm. is a spin-off too far um yeah so uh, has, i haven't been tempted uh to go back frankly. yeah no don't 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 bother you would not find anything of enjoyment in it um i'm gonna go out a little left field here and use a feature film or a feature documentary as well now mm-hmm. heads up this could be a little difficult to find okay um it is available around the place Mm-hmm. I had to use my slightly less than legal sources um, to get a copy because if you're going to fucking sell it to me, I'll give it to sell your shit to streaming services so I can watch it, please. Yes. I'm not paying $15 to rent your movie. Mm-hmm. It's not. <laughs> rent your movie. Rent. Not buy. Rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film is recorded, the Marion Stokes Project. Uh, And this uh, is a film, a documentary about the particular Marion Stokes, not a particularly notable person, but someone who did something extraordinary. She uh, was a a very rich former communist of all things. Two things, one thing's not like the other there, um, who had worked in television, who uh, at the start of the uh, Iran uh, hostage crisis in 1979 started recording live television and didn't stop for 30 years. She literally recorded live television around the clock for 30 years. Um, And you might be going, man, who the fuck cares, right? But what you have to remember is TV stations traditionally were very bad at keeping Mm. copies of what they broadcast. As in, they didn't. They would tape over it. Yeah. uh, it was a story a few years ago about Doctor Who that the BBC had broadcast it. Yeah. A lot of those early episodes of Doctor Who were considered lost because mm-hmm. nobody knew it was going to go on to become a cultural phenomenon, but did, and they just taped over it. Yeah. And so they were to put out calls. I remember hearing stories about them uncovering episodes of Doctor Who in Uganda and mm. stuff like that. But Marion Stokes, if she'd been taping the BBC in the 50s, she would have that potentially, especially things like news. Mm. They wouldn't necessarily keep a copy of those news tapes, unless there was something important happening, you know, 9-11, the hostage crisis, you know, an election, mm. something like that. So she has an increase, uh, uh, by the time of her death uh, in 2012, had amassed around 70,000 VHS tapes with um, capturing what was going on in the world over those 30 years, yeah. which is... Um, they explore in the film is, is quite an extraordinary uh, collection um, to have quite valuable. Mm. The film does explore who she was and what made her want to do that as well. She's a very interesting character. This is one of those fascinating things that you get into the weeds about somebody completely unnotable, not exactly somebody who would ever be famous for any other reason. Mm. What fascinating stories people have um, in it. You know, she uh, basically was a shut in. Uh, for 30 years and you know we meet her employees who, who uh despite the fact they had to live by these incredibly strict rules that she set down for are uh, insanely loyal to her and were almost family members of hers uh mm. work with her for like 20 years some of them uh, 
the only disappointing thing for me, I enjoyed the film very much. It's very much a straight ahead documentary. Yeah. Nothing revolutionary. It's fine to me. It's the kind of doco I like. Yeah. Um, uh, the only disappointing thing is that the end of a film is that they have donated her collection. Apparently they had a lot of trouble finding out, finding someone who would take these tapes off their hands. Really? Like no one wanted them. And I'm like, how does nobody appreciate that these things are insanely valuable? Like, but, um, uh, in the end, they donated them to the Internet uh, Archive. Um, so okay. um, apparently a planning, were planning or are planning to digitize them all. So this film, and there are people in the film who from the Internet Archive people who, who talk about what they're going to do with them mm-hmm. uh, and what they're planning on doing with a lot of the, um, the tapes and how they're planning to present them. Um, this film's from 2019. You can go and have a look at the Internet Archive now and look at their Marion Stokes Archive. It's pathetic. Really? Absolutely pathetic. Now, I don't know anything about the Internet Archive. I don't know where they get their money from. I don't know if it's a money issue, a pandemic issue, a lack of will, a lack of technology. I don't know. But Mm. this woman recorded 70,000 hours of tape. Now, I understand it's not going to take five minutes to then digitize all that. I don't know exactly how you digitize VHS tapes. I'm sure it's technology. Yeah. But I would have thought in four years you would have come a reasonable, you know, um, distance, if that makes sense, you know. Um, mm. You might have made a dent. Yeah. Um, and there might be some interesting, you know, stuff that they've done. Like, for instance, they were talking about the captioning being yeah. in her videos. She were captioned, so we have a live... And then being able to use, then have the machines read the captions and being able to search her archive, you know, using its keywords that appear in the captions, which is mm. an interesting idea. Mm. <coughs> but as of today, I'm looking at it right now, there mm. are 181 items in her archive, the wow. Marion Stokes archive. That's 70,000 tapes, and they have managed to somehow turn that into. 181 things i like it that's doesn't seem like a lot of progress to me yeah be what it is you know um i i I don't know what to make of that but i guess they're doing something with it but they're awfully slow i just sort of thought to myself i watched this film and i'm like oh cool i can just now four years ago i can jump on and start to explore some of that archive i guess the only other thing that's in there it might be is copyright stuff i guess maybe i don't yeah, know maybe uh i was wondering how anyway i'm sorry i'm off topic never happens <laughs> um if you like good documentaries like a really fascinating deep dive into something you probably knew nothing about and you're going to walk out the other side and want to be an expert about record of the marion stokes project you can <laughs> rent it like i said for 15 bucks if you're rich like marion was you might want to do that but uh otherwise if you see it playing at a festival or near you or you can find wow. a copy other ways, like I did. Go for your life. It's fifteen dollars to rent. Rent. Jeez Louise. Okay. I mean, you know, talk about pricing yourself out of the market. I mean, I, I yeah. You it's know, like we don't want people to watch this, so we'll just price it high. I, you know what I mean, for an independent film like this, I might have paid for it, but you know what mm. I mean. Like, fifteen bucks is just US. Uh, that's a bit much considering what the dollar's doing. Right, it's about twenty-three dollars or something to rent the film 
And I'm not going to do that. Sorry. No, thank you. Uh, Dude, that's that's a... only so little being translated. Ah, uh, Travis. This, they're it's, using uh... the funds from this movie. Uh, so this is a soft binge for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Interesting collection there. Well, that brings us to the end of the show, I think. Look at that. Friday hour 27. Yeah, hour, hour 27. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for episode 189 of the Armchair Producers. We had our chain movie of the week, Bob Roberts, um, following on from last week, uh, last episode's Smoking Aces. Uh, incidentally, the podcast version of Smoking Aces will be live in just a few minutes after this show. We are going to be talking about Lincoln from Steven Spielberg as the new chain movie following David Strathan and... Um, uh, David Spade from Bob Roberts. We talked about the Wes Anderson movie to end all Wes Anderson movies, Asteroid City. This time so many years ago, we talked about Your Next, and we have got the delightful <laughs> a Fortress, which, um, if memory serves, I think him and his wife both get imprisoned because they have a second child, and there's like... Limits on how many babies you can have, and you don't have any licensing and things like that. So, interesting one. And of course, we will have a fresh round of binge, browse, and burn. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, recommendations for the show, please don't forget to reach out to us at Evil Trav, at The Fried Brain on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Armchair Producers, YouTube.com slash Armchair Producers. We're, we're everywhere great to hear from you but until next time ladies and gentlemen thank you very much and good night good night <laughs>